Welcome, everybody, to Uncharted Territory. That's Tara. And that's Tori. Welcome. This week, we welcome Derek DeSoul. Derek is a former on-air personality for a Rochester-area radio morning show. And currently, when he's not working at his nonprofit job, you can catch him as a member of Nuts and Bolts, a Rochester-area improv troupe. Derek is a stranger to Tori and I, which we talk about a lot during the episode, <laughs> but he came to us through my friend from college, Frank Stracci. So thank you, Frank, for connecting us. And we also told Derek that we would plug his next show at the time that we dropped the episode. So Derek's next show is on December 12th, Nuts and Bolts. You can find the link to that at the end of the episode or in the show notes. But before we get to Derek, Tori, what's been going on for you? Any highlights? Uh, well, we just had Thanksgiving, which was, uh, fun. My aunt ran a pretty tight ship, keeping us apart from each other, um, but getting to hang out with some cousins outside and just have, see a few more people was really nice. Nice. And also I discovered, well, my sister's been telling me about these and I've been seeing the ads everywhere, but they have something called Smart Sweets now which are three grams of sugar per package, and they are very good. Highly mm-hmm. recommend. The peach rings and the sour kids are my favorites. Nice. Smart Sweets, won't you please sponsor us? Ha. <laughs> nice. How about you, Tara? Oh, you know, this and that. Since we last talked, uh, there was Thanksgiving, and there was birthday, and I had... Um, I haven't made myself a birthday cake yet. Like... Nobody is going to make the cake like I want, which was like a yellow cake with chocolate frosting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very specific from a recipe that my mom and my aunt follow. So I haven't sat down to make myself. I bought all the ingredients, but then I've just been too lazy to actually do it. So on mm-hmm. the on the docket is to make that cake for myself. Um, I've heard from, finally, my contractor, who will be Ooh. here actually by the time you hear this. <laughs> He'll have been here for two days, actually, fixing my apartment. That's all I got. Well, Tara, do you know who's got more than that? Who? Derek. Really? Derek? <laughs> yeah. So let's take it to him. Sounds good. All right. Uh, take a listen, and we'll see you on the other side. Derek DeSoul to our to Uncharted Territory. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for yeah. having me. I'm excited to meet you guys. Yes, yeah, seriously. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Um, Derek actually came to us through a referral. So this is so see everybody, you too can do it. <laughs> um, it's real. We it's, promise. It we is. will put you on the show. Yeah. It's a threat. Neither Tori nor I have ever met Derek. You are hearing our first conversation ever it's very exciting yeah they'll clearly take anybody it's fine (laughs) amazing this is very accessible to everyone it is it It really 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 is is. seriously just let us know come on everybody but so Derek uh since you are here uh so basically you know we're going to take you on the journey of the story of your life (laughs) I make it sound very dramatic so I get to start uh what did you go to school for and like what was your intended career path when you were in college So I I studied communications and journalism and minored in marketing, which is actually 
pretty in line with what I do, but I thought I was going to go into radio and, you know, sell advertising and have my own show and kind of, I had this like image of radio from like, you know, Howard Stern's private parts. Be careful what you let your kids watch when they're 14. Um, So I was really thinking I was going to, I was going to have my own radio show and do all that. And, and, you know, I, I spent some time in radio and really enjoyed it, but um, certainly the, the path has changed and uh, quite happy with it though. So, okay. Nice. Wait, I feel like we're about, to, we, you must be more in my age group than Tori's age group. Um, yeah. So I'm 38. <laughs> I graduated high school in 2000. <laughs> oh, okay. that like sort of not Gen Xer, us. not millennial, no oh. man's land. Yeah. Yeah. You're actually during the Star kind of Wars like trilogies. right between us. So that, there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. That new Star Wars trilogy really, really did a number on the general generational scheme of this country. It did. It skewed <laughs> everything. <laughs> Killed the Xers and launched the millennials. So you, mm. you so you did start um, by doing radio, correct? I, that's uh... I did. Yeah. But it was it was really strange. So I went to um, St. John Fisher College, which is a small okay. Um, liberal arts school uh, up in Rochester, New York. They have, you know, they have a very uh, nice, particularly back then, a written-based communications program. So, like, you come out of there and, and you're going to be able to write professionally, you know, at least in the corporate communications world. But I started doing my internships with a group of local radio stations and mm-hmm. ended up, and it's funny how they just sort of pair you up. You know, you, you talk to a few advisors and they sort of know you and they're like, ah, oh, this guy's personable. Let's put him in mm-hmm. with the sales team at this radio station. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And wow. uh, I met this group, and it's a, it's a cluster of seven stations. So anything okay. from news radio to back then, like Hard Rock and the Howard Stern station to Top 40 to, you know, Soccer Mom, Adult Contemporary. They, they had kind of the whole gamut, which was nice. And I spent a lot of time with the sales team, but I still like the idea of going on the radio and being funny. And I think you sort of cling to that romanticism. But mm-hmm. these uh, these sales folks were really just kind to me. I mean, it was it was really I think it was an older team. So it was uh, it was the, I spent most of my time with the news radio station and they were just sweet to me. Like they just took me under their wing. I was like their little brother. And I just followed these guys around like a puppy dog for half a year. <laughs> they took me on sales calls. I got to write commercials and I'd write proposals for their clients. And I was really getting into it. And, you know, you get that positive encouragement. You're like, oh, I can do this. I got this. I did. Well, I came back again for my senior year and did it. And then suddenly I graduated. They offered me my first sales job there. And, and I had interned with this uh, manager who was running like the traffic network and, It was like a new product that they were selling to clients and it was just going to be me and him. So I was really excited about this. And then like anything, and I kind of learned how office politics work. The director of sales left for another market, as you do. And suddenly (laughs) the person who took over didn't have those plans. So I thought I was going to get set up in this great gig that I'd been working with, with some clients in the pipeline already to you're selling the top 40 station. Here's the phone book. Because it was 2004, oh. and phone yeah. books were still a thing. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like three, four months into it, and I'm convincing myself, "Oh, it's going to be fine. It's you know, I'm still good at this, and it'll be fine." And all of a sudden, three, four months in, I'm like, "I hate this. 
I genuinely hate this. You know, I hate cold calling businesses. I hate that every person I talk to is old enough to be probably one of my parents and trying to pull one over on me. I hated, you know, sales reps internally beating each other up over clients because the group I had been with were these wonderful established folks. Mm -hmm. But every other station, it's young people just trying to get after it and make sure they make goal next month. So I, I suddenly was like, oh, this is really what it is. I was super sheltered, which was great in the sense that I got a lot of education on how it works and actually stuff that I use now in my career even still. Mm-hmm. But the culture and the day-to-day sort of feeling, I had no idea what to expect. Or maybe I was in denial. Who knows? <laughs> but I just realized, oh, my God, I hate this. And wow. I was getting ready to leave about a year into it. I, I, I held on for a year. And I was going to leave, and then they offered me the promotions director job for a couple of the stations. And I said, you know, I like these people still. Like all those Mm -hmm. folks that took care of me and took me under their wing. I made a lot of friends. I still enjoyed it. And I was like, I don't, if if I leave radio, I'm never coming back. Yeah. And here I am at 20, probably not quite 23 at this point. (laughs) And I said, well, let's, yeah, exactly. Oh God, I was a young (laughs) punk. You kidding me? I was, I was feral. (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing you've got this you know this kid who's not even a year removed from his last you know college football game and he's just this feral you know neanderthal (laughs) he'll grow up one day and uh maybe maybe we have hope for him uh he'll be he'll be housebroken soon and uh i just said you know what i'm gonna give this thing a shot so I, i took the promotions director job and really started learning more about event planning and public relations and actually got to do some on-air work too oh, um, nice. with the Top 40 station. I was just sort of like, a, you know, I had like a recurring character for lack of a better uh, term on, a, on yeah. you know, those sort of sidekick mm-hmm. type characters. And I, yeah. I'd do that and then I'd go do my promotions job all day. Oh, nice. So I really got to enjoy a lot of it. Um, got to kind of have some laughs on the air and be funny and kind of get that out of my system and kind of know, at least know mm-hmm. I can do it. And then also learn how to be a promotions director, learn how to work with clients on that and learn how to plan. You know, we planned a lot of concerts when we planned, actually, uh, it was right when Rihanna got big. Ah. Ah. It was like we, we booked her for this summer concert in Rochester and then her song went number one like in the eight weeks between us booking her and her coming to Rochester. So in hindsight, really cool. I mean, she was a 17 year old kid. It was, Oh yeah. She was a baby when she, and she, she, I mean, she looked like a child, you know, you really Mm -hmm. just, and here I am, what, like 24 at this point going like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're, you're a kid. (laughs) What have, (laughs) what have you done, Derek? Um, But yeah. it really taught me a lot, and while I, I learned a lot, it's you guys know the deal. I think, Tara, did you say you spent some time in radio? Uh, yeah, I did. I, yeah. Uh, I never, not the professional radio. I, my college radio station was a commercial-based, but it was an easy listening station because uh, the program director there really wanted us to learn how to be on the radio and not get caught up in, like, gimmicks and yeah you know like all that stuff the morning so zoo guy was, hey everybody hey, whoa exactly. dick joke right yeah, yeah exactly so um so, that doesn't you know, age so, well that was very smart of him yeah mm-hmm. well yeah and so that's what it is so it was easy easy listening station that uh had a pretty big 
reach as far as like a college like it was an actual station that people that did not go to the college could listen to oh yeah well um, it's above 92 on the dial yeah so it has yeah. to make money mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> and so um yeah i mean we were and we were right down the street from this other one uh th- like the big alternative station called uh wdre it's no it's defunct now but it was like you know it was the station because i i'm a little old i'm frank's age so uh um, ah. You know, so it was the, you know, I, so I was there in the nineties and so it was playing stuff like, you know, Depeche Mode and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so a lot of people from our station would actually go over there. Um, but I ended up not doing that because I decided to go to SUNY New Paltz instead. But yeah, it was definitely like, so I, I had like two or three shows during the week, which were one hour slots of easy listening. And then, um, I did the news twice a week in the afternoon and that required like actually putting it together. And this is when things were still like we had an AP news feed and it was when we still had carts as opposed to anything digital. So like, I get up, you know, and I, also I never did carts. Working. That's yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I ended mm-hmm. up working. Um, You've got more they, cred than I do. Yeah. Well, they ended up paying me to come in and, uh, I'd come in in the morning and load all the carts for the whole day so that everybody had like little news clips to do. It was a whole thing. And then I would put together the news show. I could, I used to engineer the news programs. Um, I was telling Tori a couple of weeks ago about. By the way, the fact that you were able to do all that in college and have the commercial background on it and a news show, college radio stations don't typically do that. That's, you've got like real radio experience. I'd say, you know, in a way, you'd probably be more suited to go back into the booth than I would be. Yeah, well, I did. I got really great. Actually, definitively, you would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I had a lot of great friends mm-hmm. um, that I still work with and collaborate with and am friends with to this day. But I remember it was you know, it was when iHeartMedia was Clear Channel, and they were you know mm-hmm. as they do every several months they they trim the payroll, and yeah. suddenly I just realized after about two years of doing it, I'm working. 60 to 80 hour weeks I'm making poverty wages and I'm still always on you know like everyone else I'm perpetually on the chopping block uh-huh. and it was one day where a handful of my friends who were really good at what they do all mm-hmm. like some of them were producing high rated shows another guy was just a bulldog in the promotions department doing anything he was asked and, and not making a lot of money and they all just got walked out the door oh, wow. and I had been I had done the morning show I had done my full day job as the promotions director, and here I am manually filling out prize sheets at 8 o'clock at night, still in the radio station. Wow. And I went, okay, like, what happened today? And I just had yeah. this epiphany of, I need to do my own thing or do something that matters because I'm killing myself to make a couple of people in San Antonio, Texas just a little bit richer. Because at the time it was owned by the Mays family. And I just went, this is all I'm doing. I am destroying myself. And my, you know, I was, it's, this is not sustainable. And I knew it at 24. Wow. And I just was like, I need to do something that matters or I need to figure out something for me. And of course you don't know that at 24. Right. No. So I started looking for stuff for the mission. I was going to say, I was like 24 is young. 24 is young to to have that kind of introspective about yourself. Yeah. It it was, I'm lucky I got it when I did. And it was just one of those moments, like I almost, to to your point, I'm like, why am I having these thoughts? I'm 24. Like, go drink beer and be a dope. And it was just like, (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm an old soul or maybe I just got handed a, a ton of reality. But, uh. 
I just knew (laughs) this is great. This is a learning experience. And until I left, I remember thinking, I'm going to treat this like the best, highest paying internship ever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn everything I can learn. I'm going to make contacts and I'm going to start thinking about this. Like I'm looking to what I'm doing next. And it gave me a much healthier perspective for the last probably half year I was in that job because I really just started looking. And again, one of those things like no one really told me that it just kind of came as an epiphany and I'm, I'm glad it did. And I started looking for local nonprofits that I thought their work, I believed in their work and, we had sponsored the stations had sponsored some events for the arthritis foundation and i hooked up with one of them like i just they saw they were looking for a development director and i dropped them a line and i just said hey you know this is derek from the radio station and they're like oh do you need a you know a receipt for the free spots you ran for us i'm like well yeah that too but i actually (laughs) saw your development director job uh can we talk about that and uh they ended up hiring me and for the first time in my life I was making a a living wage and you know you still work hard especially in those small chapter based nonprofits. you're still putting in hours but Mm -hmm. it was actually less than what I had been doing at the radio station so you know some people go into that and then they get burned out and I'm like this is delightful this is I love this like I was swinging a weighted bat for so long this is this is kind of nice and I can pay all of my bills every month what? Why and, uh, is it that so many creative jobs just don't pay living wages? That's oh, they crush just... you. Wow. I mean, yeah, the idea the idea that if you love what you do, we don't need to compensate you. It's like, no, that's not, you know, love doesn't pay the yeah. bills. Yeah. If, love doesn't walk the dog. If what I do generates value, I don't have to be miserable for you to pay me for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, let, let's be honest so, here. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I think I remember hearing it was like an old Henry Rollins song and he was talking about I should pull it up at some point now. But he had this whole it was like a rant in the middle of the song. And he's talking about like a struggling musician, this, this and this. And he goes, and all as a man with no talent drives by in a brand new BMW 540i. And I was just like, oh, that's about right. And that's what you see. So, you know, those folks, they, you know, people who wear the suits can figure out how to do it, but that's how radio works. If you wear a suit, you make a good living. And if you actually make the product and love what you do, you kind of sacrificed. Mm, Sounds like glitter. (laughs) But yeah, so so I got into nonprofit and realized, okay, like I believe in this. And the Arthritis Foundation is a funny one because it's so misunderstood. And I kind of thought, but I kind of like that. I mean, you know, I like the challenge of making people understand that it's not just, you know, aches and pains and old football injuries and grandma said it's cold, so she has to stop knitting early because her fingers hurt. It's it's debilitating and affects children and there are autoimmune versions of it. And so I, I really got into it and I thought these, you know, I like the idea of being the guy who helps advocate in this community for that so that really i don't i really took that seriously at 24 25 was what i needed (laughs) um yeah you know you kind of think you're saving your little corner of the world yeah 
and whatever. That's I guess awesome. I must be a self-important delusional idealist, but it worked for me there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It, it, we did a lot of fundraising events. Uh, the Rochester Marathon they used to own, that was their big fundraiser every year. And that was cool because I got to do what was essentially a, a mainstream, you know, regional sporting event, you know, that pulled mm. a few thousand runners. And it brought in, you know, tourism dollars and filled hotel rooms. And I, I got to really see other ends of it. So it was beyond just doing like an awareness walk or something like that. You were really doing stuff that brought in big money and got a lot of attention and that that allowed me to kind of slip right back into the radio stuff and just be like i'm comfortable with this this is great and my old radio station sponsored all the events you know i I kept all my friends and again that's what i mean like i don't have a bad word to say about any human being i worked with in radio right Mm -hmm. i don't i have a lot of bad things to say about the business and where it's going. And the funny thing is that when I talk to people who are in it now, they look back when I was there and they say, those were the good old days. And <laughs> I was like, Oh no, like, boy, did I leave at the right time? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but the people I met are, have been really these almost like these just lovely figures peppered throughout my career that keep resurfacing. And it's, it's probably my favorite part about being in radio is that I can always look back on that and smile. It, it's it's always so good to know that you can you can build support and find those kind of mentors and and and, and bright lights kind of even in even when you're in a situation that you're not happy with that Absolutely. there are are people there for you and yeah, it's that's... one of the other lessons I really took away from that it's like it's you're right the people find those people and you're going mm-hmm. through it together. It's like any tough or traumatic experience, you know, it's, I, I, look, I never served in the military or I've never a firefighter or anything, but you hear about those types of bonds and, you know, you hear it with athletes, you know, football players who go through adversity together, whatever your adversity is, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be on the most grandiose scale, but if you go through something challenging or difficult together, you come out closer. Yeah. And that was one of the best takeaways from it. And the other thing was, and I tell people this all the time who are having a rough time at work I'm like you get to be selfish here for a minute even when you're getting bludgeoned with the most unreasonable circumstances or someone's being extra hard on you or singling you out or sabotaging your stuff there's a lesson there you know your stuff's good or you wouldn't be there you know what you're doing is good or you probably wouldn't be there especially if you've been there for a while but there's a lesson even in the unreasonable nature of what's going on. Steal that lesson for yourself. Almost overcompensate. Be so good that they can't do that. And I used to learn these, you know, I'd call them these little lessons of just dealing with people behaving unreasonably. And it built up my <laughs> skin and helped me anticipate things. And again, I think those helped me to this day. That's awesome. So you, um, you mentioned that you'd... Uh, you were just a couple of years away from your last football game. I think I have. Did you you played D three football? Yeah, just yeah, Division three football. Just but um, you know, I did uh, I did what someone could do when you're five eight with slow feet, and that's play Division three non scholarship football. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. It was so something to do. For, you know, it, was, it it didn't pay a dime for college, but it was a lot of fun, uh-huh. and. I got to do it while going to school, and some of my closest friends came from that team. 
Wait, is that the same league that Ithaca's in? It is Empire Eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Ithaca. So ah. I'm well aware of at least the Cortica jugs. So. I, I looked hard at Ithaca. I actually was uh-huh. when I was choosing schools. It was between Ithaca, Fisher, the University of Rochester, and St. John. Or in uh, I said yeah, Ithaca, Fisher, U of R, and Bentley College out in Boston. Uh-huh. And uh, Bentley was a Division two school, but it was also what they call a business specialty school. They really don't have anything outside of business. So I could have gone and majored in marketing, could have done business comm, those types of things. But I still had this tiny little inkling in the back of my head that I might want to be an English teacher. Oh, oh yes. And I thought, <laughs> I have no room to pivot if I go to this school. It was the most expensive of all of them. Mm-hmm. So I thought, wow, I'm going to have nothing that translates. And I'm going to have to transfer in a year or two if I have a change of heart. Right. Right. So I, I gave myself... Uh, margin to waffle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I, then I end up staying the course. So good job, Derek. But then, hey, you know what? <laughs> it, it's all the same. My mother, my mother also. Um, theaters have conservatory schools where you um, basically just get put in just theater classes the whole time. And my mother said the same thing. She was like, "You cannot." just go to a conservatory she's like what if you change your mind and i was like i won't change my mind mom she was like you're gonna go somewhere where you can change your mind (laughs) well (laughs) she's right but i also think there's a ton of value in cross training yeah oh i agree it's uh when you yeah when you when you get those other experiences let's say you still stay in theater but Mm -hmm. that experience you have in whether it's education or social work or business or nonprofit Mm -hmm. or whatever that informs your voice. Yeah. Even just being able to take science classes. Yeah. And have funny stories about, you know, taking a an 8 a.m. biology of sex class <laughs> and learning about all the different ways that animals do the do. Exactly. At 8 in the morning <laughs> is great, great conversations for parties. Oh, yeah. Especially if you can recount the experience of some septuagenarian explaining it to a hundred hungover college kids. Oh, yeah. That's it's perfect. You can't write that. You just have to live it. Exactly. And then let exactly. it inform what you write later. <laughs> yeah. So now Tara and I have actually been um, interviewing a lot of people who started off in theater and then left it. But you actually kind of have the opposite. I completely did the reverse. (laughs) Yeah, you you discovered theater and comedy and things um, once you were established doing nonprofits. Is that right? That's exactly right. It was uh, Mm -hmm. and and it's it's funny. Yeah, Frank, you know, makes fun of me about it all the time. but I was the guy who was the meathead first and then the theater guy later. And I, I never That was did. actually literally how he pitched you to me. He was like, <laughs> I think my buddy Derek would be great. Uh, he was like a total meathead. And then he became joined theater. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know if meathead qualifies as a previous profession, but cool, cool, cool. I'll, right. I'll reach out. <laughs> they, they, let, they let them do that? <laughs> Yep. And, and, you know, in nuts and bolts, like I think meatheads become this this term of endearment. I, I'd like to think at my Division three school being 5'8 with slow feet and knowing that I was going to have to use my brain for a living, that I escaped some of the delusion and toxic masculinity. 
Mm. I'd like to think I, I got uh, I, I got a low enough dose that it wasn't lethal, and I'm able to live a healthy remainder of my life. Nice. Good. Good. <laughs> I got all Hold the discipline and teamwork and camaraderie and a less than lethal dose of toxic masculinity. So nice. that's good. And, um, and I, you... Go ahead. <laughs> No, uh, that that was pretty much it, I think. Um, oh, I was going to say, so you mentioned nuts and bolts for the people that don't know, which I think might include Tori. Uh, could you tell oh, me yeah. what that is? So Nuts and Bolts <laughs> Comedy Improv has been around for 20 years. Our friend Frank Storacci started it uh, not too long after college, actually. So they hit their 20th anniversary back in February. It was actually the last show we did before everything shut down. Wow. It was our anniversary show. But Frank has been the core of that group from day one, and people have come and gone in that group. And a good friend of of Frank's who had been in the the troupe when he was much younger, uh, his name's Brian Adams, spelled just like the singer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that comes up all the time. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Actually, we we did a a show promo once for a Cinco de Mayo show, and I made Dos Equis ads for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like the most interesting man ads, and for his, yeah. I I said, uh, in the summer of '69, he and his wife invented the '73. <laughs> oh Just with his name underneath. <laughs> I actually sent it to his wife. I'm like, you, you cool with this? <laughs> um, <laughs> but Brian, oh I met Brian because he went to grad school with my then girlfriend, now wife. Oh, wow. And so he actually was doing sketch. This is before I got into Nuts and Bolts, Rewind, even a few years prior. And he wanted to do a a comedy sketch troupe. And he was talking to to Becky. And and she said, you know, my boyfriend used to do morning radio. And I I do think he misses kind of goofing off in a public forum. But Mm -hmm. that's how we met. And we became really close friends. I mean, a year later, I was in his wedding. And oh, wow. and that's where I met Frank actually because he was also in the in the wedding party. And then years later, Frank had to take a we did you know we did the sketch troupe for about a year and it was a lot of fun. It was my first taste of really doing anything on stage. And you guys know sketch is tough. You're writing everything, oh, you're learning yeah. everything. I'm like I'm like man, this is a grind. And I'm still working full time. I'm at the Arthritis Foundation at this point, mm-hmm. and like, this is this is work, man. Fast, oh, yeah. fast forward a couple of years, I got into healthcare fundraising where I was for a long time. And I'm still with that organization. I'm just on the communication side now, which is more where I kind of always wanted to be. But anyway, here I am now working in healthcare and Brian and I reconnect and he says, hey, I'm back in, in nuts and bolts. Frank needed to take a couple months off. So I'm kind of, you know, running the ship for a little while until he gets back you should come to a rehearsal. Mm. And I was like, ah, I'm like, dude, I don't do improv. Like I can't, I'm a writer. You know, that, that's always been my, one of my core things. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, it's silly because we improvised on the air all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I always thought, well, we write out bits and you know, I write speeches for work and this is, I write talking points and this is, I'm a writer. This is what I do. And, I just kind of didn't make the connection, probably having never done it when I was younger. And he's like, just come, just come. And and the where they were rehearsing was like a mile from my house at the time. So I was like, I think I have to. Like, I can't say I can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> so I showed up. Yeah. 
and we were running just some basic, you know, yes anding type stuff. Mm-hmm. Your real one oh one level improv. And afterward he goes, All right, you're at nuts and bolts now. <laughs> and I was like, I, oh, oh I am, suckered. huh? Oh, I completely got suckered. <laughs> and we I think we practiced for a couple more weeks and I was in a show by a month after my first <laughs> uh wow. re- I always hate calling it rehearsal because improv isn't rehearsed. So I feel like it's but it, yeah. but again, this is where the meathead thing comes in. Frank will say I'll call it practice. And yeah, he's like, you you're not doing practice. sports anymore. Yeah, sports is practice. I feel like Al- right. Alan Iverson, like, practice? Y'all talking about practice? Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> but I, I won't call it rehearsal. And, and I, I always think there's validity to it because improv isn't rehearsed. It's a yeah. skill that's practiced. So, yeah. But that the, the semantics debate can happen later when there's alcohol involved. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, which there always is whenever there's an improv troupe. Exactly, in New York. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Yeah, that's right. I called it practice. You meathead. We're not playing football. Okay, thanks, dude. <laughs> there was a guy that was in Nuts and Bolts who went on to do. He moved. Ended up moving to Arkansas, and ended up in an improv troupe there. That uh, when I was working down in Arkansas at a theater, we all went to see because we heard them advertised on NPR the local NPR station. So we went and we saw it and we were chit-chatting with the improv troupe after and I can't remember this guy's name, but he said uh, he was from, or I, maybe I read it in his bio or something, but he was like, oh yeah, I'm, it said, he was like, I'm from Rochester. Um, and I was like, oh, I have a friend that does improv up there. And he was like, uh, he's like, there's not a lot of troops up there. What? It, who was it? And I was like, uh, Frank Stracci, Nuts and Bolts. And he was like, I was in it. He is underappreciated. Yeah. What Frank has done for the local improv scene, he yeah. has taught more people improv, I'd say, than anybody in Rochester, save maybe someone who does it professionally and churns people in and out of their class. I was going to say, normally you don't see improv troops really the good improv troops pop up in like a like a a b or c level city like like rochester not at all it's it's real and to yeah. and to yeah. stay together that's the other yeah. thing and frank has just held that thing together with just duct tape and stubbornness yeah and he wow. did and and it's really i mean for you know lean times troop turnover I remember a lot of that was happening around the time I came on. And one of the coolest things is over the last, I'd say, seven or eight years, our cast has been 90% the same. We've really found continuity. And I think we found people, as we've all, you know, most of us are in their uh, their 30s and 40s. We have Mm -hmm. have a couple of young guys, but most of us in our 30s and 40s now. And I think we're in a place in life where we, we enjoy it. We're not... You know, we're not moving, we're not, we kind of know our routine and we're in a place where we're really comfortable and see it as for what it is, a, a thing we really enjoy doing that enriches our lives and has its sort of corner in the pie mm-hmm. chart of what we do with ourselves. And maybe that's why there's continuity there, but it's been really nice because now there's just this level of comfort that wasn't there even when I was the new guy and didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like I was learning how to like stand on stage. <laughs> Frank, oh, Frank's I like, bet, you need I to face toward had... the audience. I was like, Oh dear. <laughs> yep. And I bet you had that little, the high school boys have this a lot where they can't keep their feet still when they're supposed to be standing. 
Yep. And they just sort of shuffle the whole time. And you're like, can you just not just plant? Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> and the funny thing is I planted one, like one of the first, one of the times early on, I just got into what I was doing and without even thinking about it, like planted my feet. And I remember Frank made a big deal about it afterward. He's like, the way you just, and I remember he really like accentuated how I like planted my foot and went into what I was saying. And I was like, why is he making such a big deal about that? And it's funny because he was probably like, oh, wow, he did a thing right that I didn't have to teach him. He did it by accident. Do more of that, dummy. <laughs> it's called positive reinforcement. That was completely and I'm glad what it was. Your friend, I'm glad your friend chose that as opposed to being like, hey, dipshit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. And and that's really uh, – it's it's been such a – it's been it's been such a, a an extra dimension of my life. I don't know what I do. I mean, if I look at it now, I've been doing improv for almost ten years. Oh wow! And you think of the the, the extracurriculars that define you. You know, the the, the activities yeah. you did in high school and college, and maybe early in your early twenties. I've done improv longer than damn near all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, wow. college football is four years if you're lucky. And let's put it this way: I've I've gotten into a lot more improv shows than I ever got into college football games. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and oh, uh, yeah. but between that, you know, I've I've been a competitive power lifter. I've I've run half marathons. I I don't know. I I, I can't I can't dis- I never want to specialize. I kind of go on end <laughs> weird ends of the spectrum. But I've done improv longer than all of those things. And that to and me think, is crazy. I think what you're I think also what you're probably tapping into is the idea that, you know, improv is, is never the same game twice, never. you know, like it, in football, you get used to what you're supposed to do and powerlifting and running. Like it's all, you know, you're using the same mechanisms. You're just trying to shooting for a, a, a new goal a next goal. But with improv, like anything can happen and should. Exactly. Happen. And, and that's what keep probably keeps you coming back and not being bored with the, with it after a certain while. When it's funny because, powerlifting one day I just got really bored with it I, yeah, I tore I, bet. I tore my bicep tendon locking out a really heavy oh deadlift. no got oh it. that's that's bad oh it was brutal and oh. I was locking out a deadlift and I felt it go and I got it repaired and it was it's fine it's I don't even think about it anymore and I started training to come back and I kept thinking a powerlifting meet is not the funnest thing in the world it's on a saturday so powerlifting for those who don't know there's three lifts to powerlifting there's the squat the bench press and the deadlift and you mm-hmm. you, you you try to do as much weight as possible for one rep and you have you have three attempts on each of those lifts oh, to yeah. lift as much weight as you can one time and so a powerlifting meet usually is on a saturday in a big field house or the elk lodge or some you know large empty space with uncomfortable bleachers and questionable ventilation and <laughs> you have to you make weight and you show up and everyone has their their three attempts on each lift and it can take a long time i mean like i've been to meets that take 11 12 hours yeah and i remember i was doing a meet once and the guy said well, 
it's going to be really short today because we're doing these in flights and this flight's kind of a smaller one. So we'll have you out by two o'clock. And I remember being so excited that we were going to be out so quickly. And then I thought, if I'm this excited to leave, is this something I should be doing? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that's a lot that's of a... time. Not just the, it's not just the meat. The meat's the the fun part. The meat's the part where you cash in. The 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 time you really put in is the two to three hours in the gym, doing accessory work and stretching and doing your your speed days and your max effort days. And I just was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I worked too hard to to, to work this hard to make my Saturdays that crappy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, with with improv. We, we get together and practice and, you know, work on some new games. We promote the show. We show up at the comedy club at night. We make people laugh their asses off. And then we go to the bar and we go home. I'm like, that's way more fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what, what thing do you want to put your emphasis on? It's same with running. I, I, running to me became like a social thing. It's to the total opposite of powerlifting right. too. But again, that's me being too stubborn to specialize. I don't know. Like, maybe I should get skinny and run. Maybe I should squat 600 pounds. And I don't, it's, it, I don't know. It's been like that my yeah. whole life. But improv's been this constant of, like, you can do whatever you want with it, whenever you want with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just need to have some meatheadish thing on the side to balance it out. <laughs> hey, that makes sense. We all, we, all, we all have to, you know, eat our greens with our, with our dessert. It's all the same. Yeah. It's funny. It's definitely been de-emphasized, especially since COVID. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I bet. I, I, I used uh, to teach two spin classes a week, too, and I haven't been on a bike since March. It's really oh. weird. So I haven't done all the physical things, and I do miss that to a degree. I don't think I want to do it to the extreme that I was mm-hmm. uh, before, but I think it is important, at least for, for me, to feel balanced where I'm out there and I'm doing improv and I'm working those skills and we're going on stage and mm-hmm. making people laugh. But then I can also still feel strong and healthy. And and for me, both of those things need to be present at some level. I've definitely adjusted the levels over the years, but it, mm-hmm. both need to exist in my life. Yeah. My friend has gotten into Spartan races and Tough Mudders because it's both running and doing strength yeah. and endurance exercises. And she's a big fan of, of, of training for those because it's, it's different pieces of what she loves of all these different fitness things. So it's, it's really, if you find something like that, that, you know, stick with it for the longest time I was doing CrossFit cause I found a gym that managed to to de-douchify it. And, oh, uh, <laughs> good, because there's there's a lot of that out there's there. A, there's those. a lot of douchiness in a lot of places, but the place I went to, it was just, it's a really tightly knit group of folks that's not about the image. It was one of the first CrossFit gyms in the area, and it's connected to a traditional gym. So I think maybe that was part of it, was that was just always their, their sensibility. It wasn't some guy with a mustache that got laid off from his sales job and decided to open a CrossFit gym and make people buy all the merch. This is a guy who just said, well, I'm in the fitness and this is another thing people might like. And I like it too. So let's do it. And maybe that's why, but yeah, I always appreciated sort of the unpretentiousness of where I end up, uh, where I was doing that. And again, a place I miss a lot and it's open right now, but I just, 
I don't think it makes sense to go back, at least for me. Everyone can make their own decision, but if I showed up asymptomatic to a gym and taught a spin class or went to a CrossFit class and yeah, and got people sick, I'd, I'd just, I'd have a hard time forgiving myself. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the way that you kind of framed it, you made it feel like moving into the nonprofit world was sort of an evolution, but I'm sure that there were parts of that where, where you were looking at going into completely uh, different field than you'd sort of been doing for a, you know, in a different a different landscape from what you'd been doing before, and there must be some kind of at least trepidation or concern. Like, what were your kind of like turmoily feelings? Like, how did you decide to make that decision? Well, I think uh, again, I had finally that that one day in radio, I kind of just let that guide me, where mm-hmm. you're either going to do something that that you own, that's yours, or you're going to do something to better the community. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe one day you'll be fortunate enough to do both, but you, you got to check at least one of those boxes. Right. And look, maybe, maybe one day when I'm, you know, 50, I'll change gears again and end up working for a for-profit. Who knows? I'm perfectly happy where I am now, but those principles have guided me to age 38 and I'm, I'm pretty darn happy about it. So that's really what kind of guided me to the arthritis foundation. And then I ended up after about two and a half years there, two, two and a half years there, I just kept thinking, okay, like I, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot more I could learn. It was mm-hmm. just going to be more of, okay, do this, do those same events more, better, faster, more, better, faster, higher grossing. Oh, and we're going to add another one more, better, faster, higher grossing. And I'm thinking, okay, we've learned what we're going to learn here. The treadmill is just going to get faster. And I have yeah. no problem with the treadmill going faster. I have no problem putting in the work, but I at least want to be, learning something and growing something. So I'd hit that point where I should probably start looking around and ended up working for a, uh, a hospital's fundraising foundation and really came in as the writer and director of donor relations. Again, I don't love being the sales guy. Can I go solicit? You bet I can. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a perfect role for me because I got to write. I ghost wrote for, you know, the, the CEO for doctors, for the president of the foundation, whoever was, mm-hmm. you know, for fundraising letters. I wrote our magazine. I wrote speeches. I got to really, I wrote proposals for five, $10 million gifts. That stuff was really cool. Not grants, mind you, just philanthropic gifts. Grants is a whole nother mm-hmm. specialty. And I did that and got into, you know, I got to scratch the event itch every now and again. And we would do you know, dedication ceremonies, we're putting someone's name on a building, that type of thing. And I got to really grow those muscles too, because it's a different kind Mm -hmm. of event, different sensibility, different goal, different audience. So I really got to put more kind of gears in the transmission box there. And I did that for about six years and got poached by our communications department. And that's where (laughs) I've been ever since. So I always love when a department looks around and goes, it's weird how you're already doing our job. Pretty much. <laughs> why don't you come work for us? They're like, why don't you come over here? And and God love the guy I was working for at the time was like, I know, I know this is what you want to do long term, isn't it? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm sorry, buddy. But, but everyone was great about it. And that's where I've been ever since. And then even in that department, I'm big on the cross training. I came in as a writer. I've done internal communications. I've done media relations, and that's still a big part of what I do today. But for about 
two, three years, I did almost exclusively that. Um, but I was exclusively a writer at one point. And now I'm in this really cool hybrid where I'm doing part media relations, part internal communications. I'm doing a ton of writing and I'm doing a lot of paid marketing planning and starting to dig into that again for the first time in a, in a while. So it's nice because I'm learning some new things again. That landscape's changed a ton since I was selling advertising. So I've got enough familiarity where there's a base point, but I also know there's a lot I can learn. And I think to me, that's something that I just constantly, it probably has fueled a lot of decisions in my life. I know I'm a cog in a machine that helps people. You don't want me in the emergency room with you. Um, you don't. <laughs> right. You don't want me in the OR with you. But if I can get good information out to people, if I can support the service lines that fund the health system so we can continue to help people of any means who can, who can need it, if I can do those things, then I'm a cog in a machine that's doing good. And for me, that's really important. If I'm going to be a cog in a machine, it better be the right machine. And so far, you know, I've got one. And then the other thing is just to keep learning and growing your skill set. I don't want to be the guy who 10, 15 years from now, I've been doing the same thing. And suddenly I look around and I'm the relic and I haven't learned anything new in a decade. And I'm still doing it the same way. And they're all going, oh, why doesn't he just learn this? I, I will never be that guy if I can avoid it. And so I'm constantly trying to find new training or cross train and be that specialty. And I've, I've told some people on our team, it's hard to throw out a Swiss army knife, guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. real hard to do it. I mean, <laughs> it happens sometimes, but not often. And they really, if you're going to toss a Swiss army knife, you're really, you're wincing when you do it. You're like, eh, might I need this? You always think about bringing it with you. And that's just, kind of where I am that's what that's the person I want to be is just that Swiss army knife who's kind of always able to chip in and especially right now yeah. where the world changes and again I think improv I hate to keep bringing it back to that but I think you know I think it's appropriate but I think that's where really improv has served me well and it's made me a better writer it's maybe more adaptable mm -hmm. the concept yeah. of yes and Yes, completely. Mm -hmm. And I've and I've used that. I've used that in meetings. I've used that to get out of very contentious meetings, mm -hmm. where someone will come in wanting to just, you know, they'll want blood or they'll want their thing, and I'll start yes anding them, and suddenly what we have is pretty cool, and then yeah. they don't want to fight by the time the meeting's over. <laughs> wow. Sure. Yeah. You're really uh, knocking out the questions we usually ask without us even having to ask them. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is great. This is, go this is going so well. I, I know. love that's it. Like, Fantastic. That's what the pauses are because we're kind of like scrolling through our questions going, oh, no, no, here he's, okay, no, no. Yeah, yeah, he that, blew through that. it. Like, when do we get rid of him? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, because like what we talk about, we're like, normally we're like, okay, well, how does what you did before work with what you're doing now? Or like with you, like how does improv help with your day, day job? And you just got to that. <laughs> and, you know, our other question is like, what are some mantras and mottos? And it feels like you've got several that you kind of keep coming back to in your head of of how to get through to the next uncharted territory part of your life where you don't you don't know what's next but you've got like this mantra in your head that's going to make it easier to do well thank you first off thank you <laughs> um but yeah i like to think you know adversity is always going to be there but can we just do these things kind of give me a little bit of a guideline so i'm at peace with who I am and what I'm doing as I navigate it. 
Yeah. And wow. one of my other favorite ones is uh, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. And I actually oh. have that. I have a, a framed picture with a really cool illustration with that saying over my desk at work that I've seen three times since March 13th. Oh, <laughs> well, because I've gone know. remote, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's really important. And we actually we have uh, some younger folks in our office. We had uh, we had an intern who was with us when the pandemic hit. And I remember saying, man, you're going to get you're going to get a decade's worth of experience this mm-hmm. year. And I do think that. So, again, if you have smooth waters, you don't know what you're going to what's going to happen when it goes down. And that's, do you, I mean, do you want the bad thing to happen? Never. You don't, no, no, no one prays for a storm, but Mm -hmm. the value in it is that you're ready for the next one and you know, you can handle that and you're just a little more anti-fragile, if you will. The only other thing that you didn't really hit on is, is so as you've decided to, you know, transition from, uh, you know, radio and marketing to the Arthritis Foundation to now what you're doing and then adding in improv. Like, how did the people around you react to this? Like, were they surprised that you were that you were changing, that you were changing, uh, pivoting in these little ways? Or is everybody sort of just used to like, this is what Derek does. He likes to be the Swiss Army knife. And so, of course, he's learning something new now. <laughs> I think... Um... <laughs> I think the people who know me are a little more used to it. So I think when at certain key points of, of kind of pivoting, you know, my, my wife knew I, when I was ready to leave radio mm-hmm. because we had obviously talked about it. We were dating at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I wanted to leave the Arthritis Foundation for something she knew, it was kind of getting to that point. I'm not learning anything else. This is a and, – and again, it wasn't a – I need to get out of this. It sucks. Not in the least. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I think I can say this. Like my boss hugged me when I gave her my resignation. She said, I'm proud of you. I mean, I was like their little brother. It was funny. I was was hired at 24 and there were only four of us in the office. It was me and three ladies. The next youngest person was my boss. She was about 12 years older than me. And then it was a woman in her 40s and a woman in her... Uh, at that point, I think late fifties, early sixties, and and then this feral twenty-four year old they plucked from the radio station, <laughs> <laughs> and so in a lot of ways they kind of helped me become a little more housebroken. <laughs> I was at least paper trained when I went when I left there to go to the hospital. I, I at least <laughs> they they got a paper trained me, and then maybe after that I became fully housebroken. But I think people kind of a lot of my friends definitely see it they know i always want to learn something new they know i i don't specialize and you know even on the on the fitness side it's funny too i've always had a bit of an identity crisis am i a power lifter am i a crossfitter am i running half marathons am i just going to get fat for a couple of years i've done all of those things <laughs> i'm in the latter right now but we won't get into i was that. gonna say so am i i'm enjoying <laughs> high five ladder. it's a great phase to be in it's a lot of fun it's so the ice cream. I tell you, they've got some great flavors now. It's amazing. It's wild. Why did I stop that? Why did I go to the other phases? This is dumb. <laughs> but I do think you know I've always kind of had that back and forth. And even when I was a kid, I remember like you know, my parents saying, "Well, you can't do everything. 
Like you, at some point you have to choose and look to it a degree. They're right. But I think to a degree, I used to also say, well, watch me. They'd say, you can't do everything. I go, watch me. Um, <laughs> I, I do think they were right to a large extent, but I, I always am trying to, I'm terrified of being pigeonholed. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified of suddenly everything I do and everything I like and everything I'm into is for some reason a relic and the world's passed me by. And I think that's that's something that probably spooks me more than I'm regularly willing to admit. And it's a, I mean, it's a good thing. It's a healthy I think it's a healthy fear because oh, yeah. it drives curiosity. So. And maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's just maybe that's just my pessimistic way of describing. I'm naturally curious. Uh, Maybe that's just me being awful to myself, and I'm just saying I'm a curious human being. But even during the pandemic, we can't do improv shows. We, mm-hmm. I haven't gone to the gym. A lot of the things I would typically do are not what they were. So I've started to learn woodworking and upcycling old oh. stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, look, am I still probably terrible at it? I'm sure. But I've, I've done some little projects here and there, and – Every time I do it, I, I, I learn another trick or learn how to do it better for the next time. And again, it's just one more thing where it, it allows me to do it at home, which I really appreciate. I've really gotten into, I've, I've embraced being at home. I was, that, I was that guy who was always out. Oh, yeah. My wife used to always joke with me about that. She's like, you're just never home. Because <laughs> it'd be, So busy. Yeah, so exactly. So busy getting to work, you know, go to the gym, getting to work early work all day, go teach spin or go to improv or go to a board meeting, you know, it it was just always something. And this pandemic, if there's been a personal silver lining and look, there's nothing good about this, but if I can, you know, again, take the lesson, take the growth moment, even in the crappiest of circumstances, that's one of those things I can sort of take for myself Mm -hmm. and, and just kind of, how can I make this not suck? (laughs) How, yeah. Or how can I, how can I at the end maybe go, well, look, we, well, we all wish this didn't happen, but like what couple of things, you know, can I, can I, how can I grow as a person from this and at least just be ready to help people when we get through this and go forward and just learning even silly stuff like that for myself is, it's helpful, helps me manage it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, you know, again, I'm, I'm in healthcare communications with a five hospital health system and yeah. Where there's a whole team of us and we're grinding. But at the same time, we're not nurses on the floor. Those people mm-hmm. are really grinding. And that's I always oh, kind of yeah. come back to that is I'm my my struggle. I'm fortunate to have. I'm very fortunate to have my own struggle right. because the struggle of I, I, you know, I, I talk to enough nurses and frontline workers during the, the peak of this thing and. That's why anyone who says this is BS or this is overblown, I, I get so mad mm-hmm. because I, I've watched some of the, the strongest, most capable people, people that I look up to as colleagues, and I'm fortunate to help tell their stories. Mm-hmm. And they have been through the ringer. And so I yeah. just think, how dare you say that they haven't been through the ringer? Because I've, I've heard them, I've watched them, I've, I've, been in the meetings where they've talked about their struggles and what they need to get through it and so I've, I've seen the recaps and I've talked to them in person and they are they are some tough people that are really kind of holding it together for society right now 
And then, but my hard work is I have to sit at my laptop at home and maybe answer a few more emails or write something late at night that they need my pleasure, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, come on. If that's, if that's, if that's my burden to bear, lucky me. (laughs) (laughs) So I've tried to keep some perspective on it too. I didn't mean to get dark like that with the depths of the the plague, but (laughs) <laughs> there's a plague on like and that, and i it's think very that's real. what that's that's yeah. one of the reasons why tara and i got into this is that you know there's so many people around us particularly in the arts industry who are looking out into a world where there might not be an arts industry the way we know of it uh in the future like yeah. it just might not be the same at all or it'll be like a shred of itself and what that what that means for so many people and so we wanted to you know Tara had this great idea to start talking to people who have made the transition to something else or have grown within you know the field in a way that um, they weren't expecting or weren't you know ready for because I think hearing that other people have done it too is really important right now because like if when it's so dark that you don't know anything it is nice to know that the lights ahead are people who've been here before yeah nobody's nobody's ever alone in this yeah even if it feels lonely Mm -hmm. but I, i think you're you're completely right and one of the things i really liked i listened to your first podcast with josh oh yeah and i really started to think what I liked about what you were doing, and I, I started to listen to part of your second one as well, yeah. you're finding people who have managed to integrate art into their life. It's There's still a place for it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, I remember even just Josh talking about how some of the skills he learned as an actor help him in business every day. Yeah. I couldn't help but relate. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been in, I've actually talked to classrooms of college kids where I've said, if you can take a little bit of improv, do it because you will, you will work through writer's block exponentially faster than you would otherwise. Because you learn to turn off the judge. You learn to be observant. You learn to listen a little bit to what's going on. And then that informs your, your drafting. Those, there's always a place for art, even if it's not an artistic endeavor. And I think that's yeah, so important. Yeah. And when I heard that first podcast, I was like, this is cool. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play with these guys. Frank's uh-huh. like, well, I sent them your information. I was like, okay, we're gonna talk. <laughs> well, it's funny because Frank was like, I think my friend Derek would be great, and he's he's like totally the opposite of us. He's like meathead, and then he did theater, <laughs> and then and so I was, and he sent me like your phone number, and I was like cool does he know you're doing this <laughs> he does i did tell him that was, that was my first question i was like does he did did you tell your friend that you're submitting he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah no i talked to him i was like okay great <laughs> i was like cool yeah. send me his email address and we'll get started exactly <laughs> was really like you as he was pitching you i was like i was like cool i was like he's like i think he would be great and i was like does he know that you think he would be great? I just need to make sure <laughs> that I'm not just going to be sending an email to like a stranger who's like, who the fuck are you? Why are you reaching out to me? Right. Who's this person? Who like, are you crazy? Lady? Is, is this the new Please. like Nigerian prince is going to put $10 million dollars in my account? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> this is, this is oh a much, God, it is. it's a much sadder version of that. Cause I'm, I'm not even biting for any money. <laughs> like, 
All right. So to kind of wrap it up, Derek, <laughs> you've given us like five different mottos. Can you pick <laughs> like your like top two or three or like your A number one where you're just like, if all else fails, this is what keeps me going. Yeah, I think I can do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Make me I'm whittle it down you. to two. How dare you? <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll, you know. I'll mention one that I haven't said, but I it, I always remembered it. And it was when Conan O'Brien had just gotten shafted from The Tonight Show. Oh, yes. And he was, was on wrong. his way out. And on his last broadcast, he said, work hard, be kind, and amazing things will happen. And it started, he was like, look, no, nothing in life turns out how they think it's going to. Because he had just been, you know, he was given his dream and then basically had it railroaded. He yeah. said, it's, yeah. it's, nothing in life is going to go how you think it will. But work hard, mm-hmm. be kind, and amazing things will happen. So I've clung to that during some tough times. And, and when there's, you know, be it either transition at work or we're going through something, I think it can be translated to other areas of life but you know do good work keep improving be a good teammate and just be honest you know uh yeah and i think that's what it is and and if if you're if you're being you know if that's at work yeah be a good teammate what does that mean that means you're handling your business that means you're helping others and elevating them and filling in gaps when they need you you're being unselfish and caring about what we need to do, especially in the type of work I'm in. You know, if mm-hmm. it, look, if you're selling, if you're selling used cars, you're probably not a very good teammate. That's okay. Um, that's not, that's not really high on the list of skills, but the, the, the areas I'd like to be in that being a good teammate's quite important and, mm-hmm. and just keep getting better, which again, I think feeds into you being able to handle your business and be a good teammate and elevate those around you. And I think that's the way in life. You know, if you're at a, if you're in a relationship, you guys are a team. If you're a family and you have, you know, kids and in-laws, and if, depending on who's under your roof, you guys are a little team. And what are you doing to take care of each other? And so there you go. I can bring it back to the meathead beginning. <laughs> but I think that's really important. And right now, I think uh, a lot of people in this country need to remember that they can be good teammates. I think I think that's forgotten by some folks right now. Nice. Uh, Derek, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you would like to share? Oh, goodness. Um, let's see. Let's go back to improv for a second. I always thought this was neat. Yeah. So not only it, – it, I think it just kind of doubles down on what uh, Frank and I have done here. But like, you know, Obviously, the troupe has a lot of people, but Frank and I started to dabble in doing corporate training for improv. Oh yeah. Oh nice. And it's something yeah. we we had a couple of uh, we've we've done a couple of uh, you know day long retreats or half day retreats, mm-hmm. and you know just sort of something fun on the side. But because we believed in it so much, we believed in more people need to know this, and yeah. we're certainly not the first to do it. Second City no, does Second a business. City does it. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of folks who do um, improv business training or corporate training. Yeah, you can do it from a team building perspective, from a mm-hmm. You know, helping creatives collaborate more. There's a lot of different angles you can take. And we were really excited about trying to get out there and do more. And then obviously the pandemic hit. But I, I, I do think that, you know, not only is Frank really, was he a great teacher in that area? And he's one of my closest friends now, 10 years later. But we've really kind of t- 
taken this and, and run with it. And, you know, again, you could say that about Frank and any member of Nuts and Bolts. But this was one particular thing that I just thought, man, like we are putting our money where our mouth is because people are believing in it and listening to us show them how this can make their work life better. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, again, even before uh, everything kind of changed, that was something that was sorely needed, that that ability to collaborate, that ability to be there as a team, to not shut down your coworkers, to yes and them whenever you can, or at the very least, listen to them. Uh, we can't yes and everything in the workplace because then you have Enron. But... Right. <laughs> <laughs> But you can occasionally, but you at least you're listening. <laughs> but mm-hmm. there's that. And then I also wanted to, I want to mention one more thing I'm doing with Frank, just because I, I think it's fun and it's a good way for us to adapt and, again, work art into what we're doing. But we started doing, Nuts and Bolts has really been struggling. Like I said, we did our last show in February, mm-hmm. canceled the March show, which I think was scheduled for like March 18th or something, whatever that Saturday was. Yeah. It's like right after St. Patrick's Day. And you know, after six, seven months, when it first happened and I was, I, re- I remember just being immersed in work and we were trying to figure out what to do. I'm like, guys, I got nothing. I don't feel funny. And there's a lot of that even still that I'm mm-hmm. kind of struggling with. You know, I'll be yep. completely, you've probably noticed, but <laughs> like there's times where I really don't feel funny. I don't feel like being funny. I don't feel like it's in me. And I think it's, I think everyone collectively is feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we just kind of went to hell with it and we're trying to do, shows online now we created a really cool facebook game where uh once a month we are the comedy club that we perform at broadcast it on facebook and Mm -hmm. it's almost like a panel game where there's a host and three panelists and they have prompts and they basically ridicule random pictures that we bring up and it's just a way for us to riff and be silly (laughs) for a half hour yeah and you know even if like 20 people see it it's funny and it's uh, it's just one of those things where we're like, let's just create a thing, and I think that's kind of what I what I wanted to leave with too is, just do a thing for you right now, and you know even if even if nobody sees it, like we don't think it's gonna solve anything, but if it allows us to have a reason to get together once a month and be silly, then just do that because in a way that's just you know let's kind of. If it helps us get through it and kind of just stay connected to each other. Um, mm-hmm. We've done one already. We've got another one coming up. I'll send you the link. But uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, definitely. You should actually, as since we're like right here, you should tell everybody how they can I find you, I will plug Derek. it. I'm a terrible <laughs> plugger. It's funny. I, I always tell, yeah, I do PR, but I'm a terrible plugger for my own stuff. <laughs> it's amazing. But uh, the game is called Pick Roast, and uh, it's... So if you go to Facebook, uh, the, the Nuts and Bolts uh, account on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash NAB comedy, if you want to just find us directly with the URL or just type in Nuts mm-hmm. and Bolts Comedy Improv, uh, it'll also be shared by Comedy at the Carlson, which is the club that we perform uh, in Rochester. And it's an amazing club. And they're actually, they could use some love right now too because in New York, and look, I think, I think what we've done in New York generally has been amazing we've kept covid numbers down i'm as Mm -hmm. as someone who you know pro public health i know a really hot take overall what (laughs) we've done to control this thing is fantastic um however i think comedy clubs are one of those areas that have really been forgotten so movie theaters are opening up and gyms are opening up but a club with stand-up comedy isn't allowed to open up 
And a lot of people are struggling yep. with why. And again, I'm not trashing the overall plan because I think uh, I think if more states had a plan like New York did, we'd be in a lot better situation nationally. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those unfortunate byproducts where it's a great business run by some people who really love comedy and have put together one of the best new clubs in the country. I mean, you get some real national headliners at this club. We're in the little room on the other side of the club, but the big room's where the headliners go. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's really done a lot for the comedy scene in Western New York. And, you know, A-list comics now, it's on the radar as much as Buffalo is or any other, you know, upstate New York market. And they're, you know, we're all thinking about them right now because anything we can do to promote them, they're trying to, mm-hmm. they're they're trying to be innovative, they're serving dinners they're now allowed to play movies but they can't do stand-up comedy it's very strange mm-hmm. they're doing the best to innovate and i know there's a lot of businesses like them so mm-hmm. it's just another kind of important thing for us to think about as we you know we should be doing the right things and we should be staying home and we should make sure we're not getting people sick but at the same time just know that buying a gift card from a place like that can go a long way Agreed. Oh, thank you while thank staying you. home <laughs> Derek, thank yes. you. Thank you guys. So much. Yeah, thank you this so, been, so much. This is so fun. This was so fun. It Thanks was. for being our the tester of our first stranger podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm I, it was a pleasure being your first stranger. Yeah. It's so creepy. Oh, we always rely That's, upon the kindness of them. Yeah, so, so That's I, true. if you use that, I'm not gonna tell my wife to listen to this. Um okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so that was our episode with Derek, our first stranger. It sounds so creepy I when know. you say it that way. <laughs> it's so creepy. It's like, oh, to a, to a stranger in my house. There's, all kind of, <laughs> there's lots of different ways that I could have taken that, but I decided to go with stranger in my house. <laughs> so <laughs> I did not, and it's best that I don't. My brain doesn't tell you where my brain is. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was super exciting. It was very interesting to talk to somebody who kind of did the reverse of everybody that we've previously talked to. Whereas he did not mm-hmm. start in the arts, but kind of ended in the arts. Um, I, I think that's great. And also, like, I think it was fun because he sort of did start where I started in a sense of mm-hmm. radio is was sort of where my background was like where my original college background was so it was just really interesting and it was fun to talk to another another human a human that we neither of us knew um and it was fun to just sort of hear his perspective on things um and to know that there are just like really great humans out there Mm -hmm. just fighting the fight for 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 all of the things like he just seems like he's a not just an interesting human but like a good human not that I right. Not that it's my place to put judgment on anybody, but he just seems like such a good human. Like it was really delightful to yeah. chat with him. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's um, you, you know, when you're when you work in theater for a while, you start to think that only the fun people are in theater, mm-hmm. and that everyone else is like a gray drone. And you know, it and and you're like, oh well, if someone's interesting out in the real world, it's because they used to be an actor, and and so then and then they just found another job, but. You know, the thing with Derek is that he's just, you know, interesting and fun and 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 so funny. And yeah. It's, oh, my gosh. It's just so much. 
and so full of like these little bombs of wisdom to like Ooh. carry you through. I know I got French there. It's very exciting. <laughs> it's like, hey, drop um, your five dollar word. I got you. I see. Oh you. my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, and so, um, so, so like to me, like you can, you can be a person who can assess what's around you, and instead of fleeing immediately. Be like, I'm going to start building my way out of here using what we've already got. Yeah. Like, that's sort of what I was taking from him was this idea of, of um, His Swiss look Army. around. Yeah, the Swiss Army knife. Okay. But also just saying, like, underneath all the bullshit around here, there mm-hmm. is a little bit of gold. Yeah. And if I keep mining that gold, I'll be able to buy my ticket out. Yeah, and, I, you know, like, at the end of the day, I just really like his sort of idea of the Swiss Army knife, that's why I, I kind of brought it up just before. The Swiss Army knife of life, you know, just being, just having like a lot of skills that you can just pull on. It's really one of my favorite ideas of, hey, you, you never have to leave, really you never have to leave anything that you've done behind. Like you, even when you pivot your career or you pivot, if it's something that you like, you don't have to give it up. You just add it to your list of skills and pull on it some other time it's a concept that I appreciate enjoy and I it's the thing I think I'm going to take most with me yeah for sure yeah for sure Um. you know and I think um you know I think the most important part of having Derek on the show is the fact that we did not know him yeah because you know what that really encourages people to do what is that, Tori? What does it encourage people to do? <laughs> it encourages them to write into us and say, I too have a story. Technically, he didn't even write in himself. I he know. had a friend put him up on the altar as a sacrifice. So if you'd like to sacrifice a friend or you you are that friend, please, Tara, can you tell them how to reach out to us? Sure thing, Tori. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble for so many reasons. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Uncharted Territory, online at unchartedterritory.com, or you can email us at unchartedterritory at gmail.com. That's Uncharted, Tara, T-A-R-A, Tori, T-O-R-I, Territory, like our names. I guess that's, I think that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. <laughs> Let's just do the thing. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember the, the territory, territory may, be, may uncharted, be uncharted, but it is not insurmountable. Well, like, oh, and it's funny. You know what? You know, I, I did. We didn't talk about it. It's perfectly okay. I did a campaign for Visit Syracuse. Where I was, oh. uh, there was uh, a winter campaign. It was for tourism. Uh, they made Syracuse the official home of winter, and they had me play winter, <laughs> like it was a person. And uh, okay. we, we like storm. Were you like a, were you like a Jack Frost, a father, a Father Christmas? Very like... Jack Frost, like cool okay. blue and white hair, blue, like white beard. Everything was blue and white, like full makeup, and then like a blue oh, flannel. God. I should send you guys. I should. Have, I should have sent this. This is my bad. It was super fun. We we actually stormed Groundhog Day. <gasps> oh, because did. did they promise more? Did they promise spring? Well, is we that we why? didn't know. <laughs> we 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 chartered a bus. We had a bunch of people come down. It was like maybe like five or ten of us, and we had people mm-hmm. holding up like protest signs that said like six more weeks. 
<laughs> and I started running around, like riling up the crowd to say six wow. more weeks. Wow. And I was like, we don't want any of your weather propaganda, like just being ridiculous. <laughs> and I got on the weather channel for it. Oh, my God. So so Jim Cantori is, is interviewing yes. me. And he goes, so I'm here with Winter himself, who makes his home in Syracuse, New York. Winter, what brings you here from Syracuse, New York? And I look at him and I go, well, clearly I have a vested interest in today's outcome, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who is this nut and who let him on the Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> And then at the end, he was talking about the result and all that. I'm like, that's right. You get six more weeks of this. <laughs> and then you whip your shirt off. Oh, it was amazing. I just, yeah, I did like the up and down, like shoulder to knee, just like, like you get six more weeks of this, baby. And then uh, I saw him around town later on, like three, four hours later. We we're filming B roll in, in the village. And he, he totally, he recognized us, totally bro hugged me about it. He's like, that was great. <laughs> so. I know at the weather channel they're just gi giant dorks they just want you to care about weather so oh, yeah. people get excited they get excited he's like yeah the silly man who was interested I like him <laughs> that, was the, that was the base level of acceptance and I was all about it of course of course it's Jim Cantori oh my goodness Those big muscles and the, oh, Jim Cantori he's the best <laughs> I'll assume it's because we were wearing coats. I didn't go there when I met him, but that's okay. Well, you know, it's fine. <laughs> we, all, we all have our preferences. Yeah, we all got different strokes. It's all good. 